Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease, and I'm going to the World Parkinson Congress. This is WPC 2019, the official podcast for the 5th World Parkinson Congress. The event is being held June 4th through 7th, 2019 in Kyoto, Japan. This podcast is created in collaboration with the World Parkinson Coalition and my other podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. This is the travel episode. Kyoto life hacks, tips, vocab, etiquette advice, and more all in one place. From introductions, gifts, unlucky numbers, to bathrooms, restaurants, and money. Download this podcast and listen to it again on the plane. (laughs) To get us up to speed, I want to welcome back to the podcast James Heron. He is the executive director of the Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center. James has been preparing us each episode for what we can expect when we arrive in Japan. Let's start today with a series of uh, words, some vocabulary. How about, uh, how do we say hello, James? Hello. (laughs) Nicely played. But hello in Japanese is a bit more challenging than that. Uh, What makes it slightly more complicated is that uh, depending on the time of the day, uh, Japanese has three different greetings. So (laughs) in the morning, you would say good morning, which is Ohio gozaimasu. Ohio gozaimasu. Can you just say Ohio? You can. It's less formal, but I think it'll be appreciated. Okay, very good. And then what's midday? Uh, midday, really up until it sort of becomes evening, you can say, konnichiwa. If you write it out, it has two ends in it. So you, you want to hear both ends. Konnichiwa. So you hold the end sound a little longer. Konnichiwa. Yep, perfect. Very good. And then evening? The evening is konbanwa. Konbanwa. Yep. Okay. And and what if you mix it up? What what if you say Ohio in the evening? Um, I think people will probably find it amusing, but certainly not offensive. Okay. All right. And, and in, in a worst case scenario, probably uh, you can always fall back on a konnichiwa and uh, you won't be, you won't be too far uh, wrong in, in one direction or the other. So after I figure out the greeting, how do I introduce myself? What you need to say when you meet someone for the first time is hajime mashite. Hajime mashite. Mm-hmm. Hajime mashite. And then watashi wa Larry des. Watashi wa Larry des? Des. So watashi means I. Okay. And wa means it's a, it's a particle that sort of marks the... Um, the subject of a sentence, then the name. So I am Larry. And the des is a, a sort of a, kind of the equivalent to the verb to be. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so Hajime, Hajime Mashite, Watashi wa Larry Des. Okay. Hatichi, uh, say the first part again. Hajime Mashite. Hajime Mashite. Watashi wa? Watashi wa? Larry Des. Larry Des. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll have to work on that. We've said hello, we've introduced ourselves, and then what? Well, I think uh, it might be a little bit of a tongue twister, but it's probably one of the most useful expressions that uh, you can use in, in Japan. And that's the expression, Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Yoroshiku? Yoroshiku? Onegaishimasu. Onegaishimasu. Right. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. And what that tends to mean is sort of like, please treat me in a favorable manner. But it can also mean just, you know, how are you? It's something that is um, that's often used particularly in a first meeting or when you're asking someone for a favor. What do I say if I uh, accidentally bump into someone or I'm pushing my way through a crowd? Sumimasen. Okay, say that again now. Sumimasen. Sumimasen. Yes. Sumimasen means, excuse me. I, in, I have a feeling um, I'll be using that a lot. Yeah, so it can be it can be excuse me as if as you know if you're sort of pushing through a crowd, it can be excuse me if you don't hear something properly. But it can also is often sometimes used as a thank you as well. If someone serves you food or gives you something, gives you tea or something, often people will say rather than saying arigato, they will say sumimasen. Sort of again, mm. you know, sort of. Um, excuse me for putting you out or something like that. So it's it's a really good uh, kind of all-purpose phrase. Now, is there a gesture that goes with that? Not, no, not necessarily. Okay. Just, uh, just sumi masen. All right. So in the same vein as excuse me, how do you say, I'm sorry? Okay. And hopefully it's not one uh, that uh, any of us will need to use too often, but it is gomen nasai. Gomen nasai. Gomen nasai. Yeah. When would you use that? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the Japanese apologize a lot. Um, <laughs> just in the, I know they say that about Canadians as well, but the sure. Japanese do it as well. Um, and I think one of the reasons that they, they do it is, you know, apologies in Japan are not seen as sort of an admission of guilt or fault. I mean, it's not really a very litigious society. Um, so apologies in Japan are just sort of seen as kind of a, a Band-Aid for... Uh, you know, if there's been any kind of a, a breach of, of harmony or something, uh, an apology is a way to simply clear the slate and get back, get back to uh, get back to communicating and, and putting things right. Say it, say it one more time. Gomen nasai. Gomen nasai. All right. One of the stereotypes of a North American is someone who, who rather than apologizing, is always making uh, excuses for why something went wrong. Um, and sometimes an excuse means that you're not really taking, you're not really taking responsibility for it, but to apologize means that you're taking it seriously and you're going to deal with it. Oh, that's great. Uh, now, now let's deal with food. This is one of my favorite topics. What do I need to know about food? Well, when you're, um, when you're sitting down to eat, or just before you eat, uh, Japanese people would say, itadakimasu. Itadakimasu. Yeah. Itadakimasu. Exactly. And and it doesn't really translate into anything other than sort of I am about to receive or partake. Um, you know, maybe the equivalent of saying, you know, bon appetit or something like that. 
And what is the uh, traditional uh, toast or, or phrase that you might say before you take a drink? Kanpai. Kanpai. Kanpai, yeah. And it really that really means uh, dry cup. So bottoms up, I guess. So. <laughs> and we talked about saying itadakimasu before you eat. But at the end of the meal, there is another uh, sort of set expression. And that one is gochisousama deshita. Okay, let's slow that down for me. Gochisousama. Gochisousama. Deshita. Deshita. And it, uh, it, it really just sort of trans. The gochiso is a word that means uh, a treat or a feast. And um, so it just really means uh, to, to, you know, to, to uh, translate it directly, you know, uh, it was. Uh, it was it was a it was a wonderful treat, a wonderful feast. Something oh, okay, like that. yeah, that makes sense. So, so oh. you can say that to you can say that to either to hosts or if you're paying at a restaurant, um, you would often say that to uh, to the person um, as you're paying the bill in the restaurant. Now that we've eaten and had some sake, we'll need to know how to find the washroom. The phrase for where is the washroom is toide wa dokodeska. Toide wa tokodeska. Doko deska. Exactly, yeah. It ties a little bit to the Japanese, you know, watashi wa lari desu. So, you, so first of all, the first word you're using is toide, which is toilet. Um, I thought that was going to be toilet. All right. I thought, well, the Japanese take a lot of words, a lot of English words, and they, they, they add Japanese sort of pronunciation to them. Because foreign words are spelled out in a special phonetic system called katakana. So they, they take on a kind of a Japanese pronunciation. And then what happens is the Japanese will often sh- then shorten the word. So, for example, um, if you look at Starbucks in Japan, they would call it Starbucks. But then they would shorten that to Staba. So, okay. <laughs> so Staba is Starbucks in Japan. The word for sexual harassment in Japan, they would take the exact word sexuaru harassmento, and then they would shorten that to sekuhara. So it's sort of a it's sort of a, a pattern that goes on in Japan. So toireto became toire. Great. So you'll, you'll run into a lot of words like that in Japan. So toire for toilet, and wa again, which marks the subject of a sentence. Then the word doko, which is where. And then we talked about the word des, which means, which is the verb to be. And then ka. If you add ka at the end of a sentence, it makes it a question. Okay. Toide wa doko desu ka. Is it kind of like a? Uh, no. The, actually, they do use an a in Japan, which is ne. Okay. If you see the Japanese say ne a lot, that's kind of a version of a Canadian a. But if you add ka, it becomes a question. Gotcha. All right, one final vocabulary word today. How do we say goodbye? Uh, well, I guess to say goodbye to someone uh, in a very informal way, you might just say, sore dewa. And how, do you, how do you spell that? Do you know? S-O-R-E-D-E-W-A. Sore dewa? Yeah. Or you could just say, like if you're going to see someone the next day, you could just say mata, mata, which is M-A-T-A, which means again, and then ashta, A-S-H, silent I-T-A. 
right, James, now let's dive into the nuances of the Japanese culture. One of the things that uh, you, people often find uh, they have to deal with when dealing with Japanese people is a lot of ambiguity. Uh, and then the difficult sometimes to draw out opinions or to, to get a clear yes or no. And that's something that's really, uh, I think it's driven by some of the, the cultural ideas that underpin uh, Japanese culture. One of them being harmony, or the word, the Japanese word for harmony is wa. Wa? Which is, wa, which is probably one of the most fundamental, you know, Japanese cultural concepts. In fact, the word wa, which means harmony, is actually used in a lot of Japanese words to give a connotation of something's Japanese-ness. So, wa shoku is Japanese food. Wa fuku is Japanese um, clothing. Mm. Uh, wa shitsu means a Japanese-style room. So, it's very central to the Japanese psyche, as is sort of groupism and uh, and the need to sort of not put your opinions out there until um, sort of group consensus has been reached. And another, another reason for this ambiguity is, um, can be sort of the cultural homogeneity you find in Japan. Um, things don't always have to be said in order to be understood because Japan is a, is a culture where, you know, it's essentially it's, it's, it's one culture, it's, you know, one race of people, Everyone it comes through the same education system. There's there's a great deal of homogeneity. So in other words, you don't necessarily have to say something for it to be understood because of that that great shared context. And it's one of the reasons, for example, why um, haiku poetry can be so powerful, even though it's really just uh, it's really only 17 um, uh, syllables. But right. there can be cultural markers in those very, very short poems that can open up huge swaths of meaning to, to, to the Japanese listener. So is there a yes or no, or, or is it always just sort of this ambiguity? Well, the Japanese will say yes a lot. And, and yes in Japanese is hi. Hi? Hi. But um, again, it shouldn't, it, shouldn't be, um, it shouldn't be mistaken for the actual yes, as in uh, we are in agreement. Hi simply means I, uh, it's an acknowledgement that uh, I'm listening to you. So if if, uh, if, uh, if a Western business person was coming out of a meeting having heard yes, 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 assuming that the Japanese were in agreement with everything he said, well, there could be a, there could be a significant misunderstanding uh, there. Um, and the Japanese also um, tend not to say no. It tends to be uh, probably a little bit too direct. Um, but, you know, the Japanese will signal no, um, sometimes through um, body language, which I'll, I'll talk about uh, next week, but also through expressions that um, suggest no. Um, often people will say, oh, that's, um, that's very difficult, which is not a challenge to fix a problem. Often it means that it can't be done. Mm. And there's also some sor sort of sometimes um, sort of set expressions in Japanese that, again, communicate no. For example, we will examine this matter in a forward-looking manner. That is almost, uh, you know, that, that's a set Japanese expression, which is a little bit of a, a kiss of death. When you, when you hear that, you know they're not interested. Uh, so you kind of have to, pardon the expression, read the tea leaves. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you definitely read read between the lines. Um, 
we we as North Americans we tend to to sort of get to the point. Um, we we tend to speak in very um, you know, direct lines of communication, where the Japanese will approach things often in a much more indirect manner. So in Japan, sometimes to 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 beat around the bush or to go in circles is not seen necessarily as uh, as a negative. So it's really important when you when you are dealing with um, with Japanese and you're trying to 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 draw out an opinion. Sometimes you just have to let things. Um, Proceed at the Japanese pace, and let over time, you know, let let the wheat separate from the chaff, and be careful not to sometimes push for an opinion or push for an answer if you're not getting it. What that'll sometimes do is just uh, shut down the communication process altogether. So sometimes just a little extra patience is uh, is necessary. Let's talk about some of the nonverbal communications that we might encounter. Sure. Um, well, let's. Uh, Again, because Japan is a high-context culture, sometimes uh, things <laughs> things don't have to be necessarily said to be communicated. And uh, so some typical Japanese things, uh, there's one I think of as the Japanese smile. Uh, and that is, um, it's not something that, that we don't understand as, as North Americans. We have a nervous laugh in the West, but often in Japan, if someone is, is uncomfortable with something, they will smile. And so I often tell people, you know, if you see someone smiling kind of out of context, that might indicate that uh, maybe an, an inappropriate request has been made or um, something too sensitive has been brought into the conversation or, or that the Japanese just really don't know how to, how to react. And then what do so, you do if you notice that? Simply just, I would just say, sort of dial it back and change, change the direction. And, uh, do you say um, sumimasen? Uh, well, you could do that. You could do that if uh, if it's if it's quite clear that uh, the person is uh, is uncomfortable. Um, another thing is eye contact. For us in the West, a lack of eye contact can sometimes imply a lack of sincerity or or pride, or that maybe we're even, you know, um, you know, we're even hiding something. But to the Japanese, prolonged eye contact can sometimes suggest aggressiveness or hostility and can be um, unnerving. Mm. So I would say, you know, um, you know, make eye contact, but um, you, you can break eye contact in Japan without giving, this, giving a, any kind of a negative message. But no contact is shady. No, yeah, you you'll want to make you want to make some eye contact, but um, again, probably I wouldn't hold your eye contact as long as you might with a Western counterpart. And often, what will happen is um, Japanese people will shift uh, their eye contact more down towards the chin as okay. opposed to the eyes. So, can kind of go back and forth. But too much eye contact again can be uh, a little bit of an aggressive gesture. Also, uh, posture is important. Um, you know, um, and when I say posture, again, it's more a case of, you know, not to uh, do things like leaning on desks or tables or leaning against the wall or the doorframe. Um, sometimes that can appear just a, a little too uh, casual. Okay. Um, dress and grooming is also um, important in Japan. Certainly in business context, Japanese people tend to wear, you know, more sober, serious and, and sort of conservative clothing. Um, I remember 
going to Japan a number of years ago to to um, do some a little bit of business protocol training for uh, some Americans who who were running a Japanese uh, office there, and uh, they were in the process of of trying to have a casual Friday, and uh, I know the Japanese workers were not exactly sure how to deal with that, and in fact. At the uh, entrance to their office, uh, written entirely in Japanese, no English, there was actually a little apology saying, we are, we are um, dressing casually today because it's casual Friday. And then essentially, we apologize for any um, inconvenience or discomfort that this may cause for our visitors or something. <laughs> so, um, there's um, also issues of personal space. Okay. Um, even though sometimes, um, you know, je- the Japanese will will find themselves in very very close personal spaces, like uh, on a on a on a train, for example. Um, the uh, in general, North Americans we're comfortable with about eighteen to twenty four inches of, of personal space, uh, but for the Japanese, it tends to be typically a little a little farther apart, maybe thirty six inches. Oh, so. Um, I would give give a little more space to Japanese colleagues. You need a, a wider berth as you uh, maneuver through the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, voice. Because, of, I guess, high regard is placed on restraint and graciousness, it's important to uh, avoid raising your voice, especially in anger. Um, the Japanese will find this uh, quite threatening and rude. And again, it, uh, it sometimes will fit you into that common alienating um, stereotype of the Westerner being sometimes a little bit on the loud or abrasive side. And uh, maybe the, the final the final thing I'll offer will be um, gestures in general. The, the Japanese tend not to to gesture quite as much, but if, if you if you look at je- gestures in general, often for example, if you go to um, to some say, Southern European countries, people will be more, there'll be more physicality in, in people's communication. So people will tend to, to gesture from the shoulder. So that will be sort of the pivot will be the shoulder. Um, while if you were say to go to um, maybe North America or, or more Northern European countries, the, the gestures tend to be a little more, a little smaller. Perhaps the uh, gestures tend to come from the elbows. Out. Right. Uh, and in Japan, I would say that would be more at the at the at the wrist. Wow. Okay. So, so very subtle. A little, a little bit smaller. So yeah, big gesticulations again. Um, will Japanese might find that a little overwhelming. So um, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. From our conversations, I understand that the Japanese are very concerned about hospitality. The Japanese version of hospitality, the world is uh, the word is omotenashi. Omotenashi, which essentially means dealing with every aspect of the needs of your visitor um, without having to be asked. So often, I think sometimes uh, you know you might find when you go to Japan that you the hospitality is almost overwhelming, and that you you don't have a lot of breathing room because everything is as everything is perfectly and carefully planned out for you. Um, and uh, we sometimes call it the hospitality juggernaut, <laughs> but it's um, again. It's sometimes again. It's it might be it might be overbearing or overwhelming, but it is what the Japanese 
um, the Japanese view of, of perfect hospitality uh, includes this taking care of every possible need. And what could, what could be involved in that? Um, well, it can be it can be um, everything from planning every second of your of your visit um, and and where you're going to meet and when you're going to meet and when you're going to sit down to eat and when you're going to finish eating. So uh, yeah, a very a very uh, very careful and uh, and detailed scheduling for every minute of the day. Very structured. Yes, um, and. Uh, and, and there's a lot of structure as well in Japan around around the idea of gift giving, and it's a big part of Japanese life. There's 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 a, a number of important gift giving sort of seasons in Japan. Um, some that won't affect us, but there's sort of a, a midsummer gift exchange called Ochugen, and there's a, a year end gift giving season called Osebo. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, sort of gift rituals throughout the year. In Japan, they have Valentine's Day. Um, but on Japanese Valentine's Day, it is women giving chocolate to men. Mm. And um, often they give something called giri choco, which is um, obligation chocolates, which, oh. is, which is what you give to your boss or your to, to your co-workers, um, but not necessarily, uh, obviously, uh, indicating uh, any kind of a romantic uh, feeling, right. and then uh, one month later, in uh, on March the fourteenth, is White Day, and White Day is the day that uh, men traditionally give cookies to uh, to the ladies. Oh, that's nice. There's also um, omiyage, which is uh, the Japanese for souvenir, and the Japanese have a great deal of uh, of obligation or pressure to 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 give. Uh, souvenirs to their co-workers and family and friends when they get home. So even if they're on a, a three-day, you know, whirlwind uh, tour of, uh, of, a, of a city, they'll probably take at least a half a day to make sure that um, they have all of their gifts bought to take back to Japan. Wow. Yeah, but um, but for us, when we uh, when we go to Japan, um, it's it's always good to take gifts. Um, and gifts are given in a very similar way to the, the business card exchange, so they're uh, they're offered with um, with two hands, and uh, they're received with two hands as a sign of respect. Often the Japanese um, will give the gift and receive the gift, but they will not open it in front of the uh, in front of you. Okay. And there's no expectation that uh, that you should have to open yours because really it's the it's the ritual that's most important. But if you want. They may ask you, Paul, please open your gift. Um, and uh, and if you would like to uh, them to open their gift, um, it's you're certainly free to do it. It's not a, not an issue at all. Okay. Uh, it's usually given at the end of a of a of a dinner or at the end of a meeting. And uh, it's important uh, to um, to not, uh, avoid certain um, colors in your wrapping. Black and white can be uh, funeral colors, um, and so those should be avoided. Also, avoid gifts that uh, come in uh, fours or the number nine. Uh, those are unlucky numbers in Japan. Four, four and nine. Yeah, four sounds like she, which is death. And the word um, for nine is ku or q, which um, is sounds very much like the word for suffering. All right, so avoid four and nine. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, for gifts, you probably want to avoid gifts, um, things 
like scissors or knives or letter openers because they signify separation. Okay. But good gifts are, are things like, um, well, things that are quintessentially Canadian. Um, and gifts also, particularly in, in the early stages, should be something that is consumable. Oh, okay. Um, things like uh, ice wine or maple syrup or maple cookies or smoked salmon, things like that are, are, are very good. Um, and then perhaps as the relationship deepens, if it, say it's a relationship between two companies and they, they sign a contract, then something that's more permanent um, becomes a, a more appropriate gift, like maybe a piece, a native art piece or something like that. But you certainly don't want to give something like that at the beginning of a relationship if for example, you, you don't know whether the relationship has, has any long-term aspect to it, uh, at, what point, at which point that, uh, that permanent object becomes a little, bit, a little bit awkward. Sure. All right. That's good, good advice. Yeah. And also, again, if you're going to be meeting a lot of people, uh, you, know, take, uh, you know, take Canada pins and, 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 and company, you know, Canada pens and things like that. They're always, uh, always a good gift as well. Let's talk toilets. In, in Japan, you'll run into three different types of toilets, potentially. There is the traditional Japanese toilet, which is a kind of a, a squat-type toilet. Um, these are more and more rare all the time. Um, they're sort of, it's sort of a long porcelain trough that you would squat over and do your business. Okay. So, um, it's pretty simple, but it, uh, it can be a little bit of a challenge if, uh, if for flexibility, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. And, uh, yeah, some of these uh, Japanese style toilets can be a, can be a bit of work, right? But you probably now won't, will only run into those if you are, um, you know, if you're in the, in the countryside, maybe in a little inn or something like that, far more likely you'll run into two styles of Western toilet, um, they're the kind of more traditional Western toilets, which look like what we have here. One interesting difference is that on the back of and top of the tank, when you flush it, there is a little fountain that pours water out and it goes back into the tank. So the water that it's being used to flush comes out of this fountain first so that you can use it to wash your hands before it goes down into the cistern. Hmm. So it's just a little water saving device. Um, the other type of toilet is, I don't know if you've run into these before, these, these sort of space age Japanese toilets that are becoming more and more ubiquitous in Japan. The ones that um, actually have um, the water jets that uh, do a lot of the, the cleaning process for you. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read about these. I've seen video of them. I've not experienced it, but it's very intimidating. Um, they are actually, uh, they're not intimidating and they're actually quite, quite pleasant and quite hygienic. Um, essentially all you do is there's a, there's a little, um, little control panel beside the toilet and, uh, there's a lot of Japanese written on there, but there's also some diagrams which make it pretty clear what's going to happen. So there's a, a button for bidet and there's a button for washing your other, uh, nether regions, let's call them. Mm-hmm. And then there's one for dryer. So it'll actually dry you as well. Okay. Excellent. Um, I look forward to it. And some of the newer ones will also have lights on them. Um, usually they'll have a seat warmer because a lot of uh, Japanese homes and places don't have central air conditioning. 
So the washroom itself may not be may not be warm, but the seat will be very invitingly warm. Yeah, that's great. It's not that issue. Um, and you'll also notice that that um, Japanese toilets are usually um, located separate from your um, where your your washing area will be, the the bath and the sink and everything like that. Okay. Because in, in Japan, it tends to be sort of counterintuitive to um, to have the place that is supposed to be for cleaning to to be in the same room where you are essentially um, getting rid of uh, waste material. Right. So they tend to be separate unless you're in a in a in a hotel. Uh, sometimes in a, in a small hotel room, you might have kind of a sort of a like an airplane's type of bathroom where everything's sort of in the same space. But um, so when you go to a, a Japanese bathroom itself, um, you'll notice that there are there will be a tub and a shower, um, but usually the tub is separate from the shower. So the tub is not there to wash. The tub is there for soaking. Mm. It tends to be very deep, very hot. And beside that, there'll be a low shower with a little stool. And, um, and what, you're, what you're supposed to do is you, you go in and you wash yourself first. So the shower is for cleaning yourself. And then once you're clean, you get into the tub. And that's where you soak. I guess that's an important thing to know. It is important because often, for example, if you're if you're in a, going into a Japanese person's home, um, traditionally a family will use the same bath water for the entire family, with the with the um, understanding that everyone is clean before they get into the tub. So if you uh, if you just sort of jump into a into a Japanese bathtub and you're dirty or you're covered in soap, you make that water unusable for the people that would be coming next. And it's wasteful. And it's wasteful. You'll find then you'll find if you um, if you wind up going to a public bath or a, pu- a public hot spring, um, essentially it's it's the same rules. There'll be showers, and there'll be tubs for soaking. They'll be very separate, and you may have to make sure that you get that order correct. Get that order correct. All right, thanks, yes. James. Um, and and uh, bathing is a very central part of Japanese life, so definitely find the opportunity to enjoy a Japanese bath or a Japanese hot spring uh, while you're there. I, I got a great story about a hot spring my wife and I visited in rural Taiwan that I won't get into here other than to say there was a major language hurdle. Both sides had to leap over. Do many Japanese speak English? Well, in Japan, people study English uh, a lot um, to the point sometimes where, where I think some Japanese um, almost have a little bit of a, a mental block. I think the, the Japanese uh, education system when it comes to English, I think it's a bit traumatic. Um, you know, getting into universities, there's a lot of test takings and, and, and et cetera. So I think a lot of Japanese might have a little bit of a phobia, but they will have probably a decent background in English, particularly if it's written English. But speaking can often be a little more of a challenge. Um, having said that, you know, when you do go to international conferences, et cetera, uh, the Japanese do put an effort into putting their best English speakers forward. And then when, when you're saying Ohio or Konnichiwa or Kanbawa, uh, are there hand gestures that go with that? Do you bow? Do you wave? Do you, what, what do you do? You know, it really, it really, um, I would take the, uh, I would take the Japanese lead. Um, you know, bowing is one of those things. It's, it's, 
very much based on circumstance. Um, but you know, when you when you just you know meet a colleague during the day, um, you wouldn't necessarily need to bow or shake hands. You just you would just say konnichiwa. I think actually, um, you know, one of the when it comes to communications, um, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity for us to to address some of the stereotypes that uh, the Japanese sometimes have about North Americans, and you know, we we sometimes, well, the Japanese tend to be very reserved, and as a result, um, we can sometimes come across as a bit overbearing or overly aggressive, um, simply just by doing what to us seems sort of commonsensical. And one of the one of the ways we do that is in our communication styles, and to um, to, to to give you one example would be silence. Um, in Japan, uh, silence is an important part of the the sort of the communication um, uh, approach, and the Japanese have a saying that says words separate and silence unifies. So there's some um, linguists have actually looked at North Americans versus Japanese and the and the amount of silence that we are comfortable with before we feel that something needs to be said. And in in Japan it's over 4 seconds. But for North Americans after 3 quarters of a second we start to feel uh, sort of a, a sense that we need to that the communication is dying and we we need to we need to sort of say something. So you know that really comes down to sometimes I, we sometimes have to to sort of dial things back a little bit and um, and and sort of give give a, a little more time to silence. Uh, sometimes again, it's it shows respectful listening or that you consider what's been said. Um, but also, if the Japanese person is working in their second language, it just might be necessary time for them to to you know make the transition to translate in their mind what's been said in English, and then to, to put together a response. So if we, if we fill those silences too quickly, we sort of muddy the communication channels. Interesting. So, so North Americans are three quarters of a second. Yeah. Which is that. And, and, and the, the Japanese are four seconds, which is this. Yes. So I'm certainly not telling anyone to pull out a stopwatch or anything like that, but simply to be a little more comfortable with silence. Interesting. That's, that's and, and, great and advice. Sort of turn, and, 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 and I guess to keep in mind that idea of turn taking in, in conversation. Earlier, we learned some great phrases to say before and after a meal. Now let's get into the etiquette around food. When you when you when you do go to eat, if, particularly if you're going to a more uh, traditional type of a restaurant or something like that, um, it's probably best to allow your hosts to seat you, uh, because in Japanese restaurants, often um, seating is based on rank. So you don't uh, you want it's it's best to let the Japanese tell you the best place to sit. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then when you sit down, um, of course, you're faced uh, with chopsticks, um, which is um, always worth, if you don't know how to use them, do your best to learn them before you go. But if you have any issues, the Japanese will be happy to provide you with, uh, with a spoon or a fork, um, you know, whatever is required. And you just, um, need to ask, it, you just need to ask for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the important thing with chopsticks is not to stick them up upright in your rice, 
because that is that is something that um, is actually part of the funeral ritual. Oh, so to to do that at a at a uh, at a dinner party is 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 quite inappropriate. Also, um, you should never pass food with chopsticks. That also is part of the funeral ritual. So, like, if I wanted to share some sushi with my wife, I wouldn't use my chopsticks to put it on her plate. Well, you could do that, but you wouldn't want to have her take something with her chopsticks from yours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Often, too, if you're if you're using a kind of a communal dish, um, people will sometimes turn around their chopsticks and use the um, the end that hasn't gone into your mouth for picking up something from a communal dish. Again, well, that's, that's a good just idea. More hygienic. Yeah. Uh, in Japan, um, actually, particularly when you're eating noodles, it's okay to slurp and make noise. Oh, good! Finally, and you don't. I mean, you don't have to, but certainly don't judge your um, don't judge your Japanese hosts as having poor manners if they're slurping. Um, it's just considered. Uh, it shows that they're enjoying the meal, and it's also thought that bringing a, li- a little air in with the noodles. Um, uh, helps to to bring out the taste. Oh, okay. Very, it's kind of like uh, when they do wine tasting, they try to get air into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I maybe maybe worth pointing out is um, sushi is uh, it can be eaten with chopsticks, but it's also often a hand food, so you can eat sushi with your hands. Oh, okay. And uh, Japanese tend to if you're going to the part that you're going to dip into the uh, into the Soy sauce, you should dip the the actual fish portion as opposed to the rice portion in. So you sort of almost have to turn over the sushi and 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 get the um and get the soy sauce onto the uh, onto the fish rather than the rice. And and I read somewhere you, you never want to just sort of dump soy sauce over the sushi. Oh no, no. It, yeah. The the Japanese don't pour soy sauce on anything, on, on the rice or on sushi. It's usually uh things are dipped into the into the soy sauce. Okay. Uh is there do you take your shoes off when you go into restaurants? Uh it very much depends on the restaurant. More traditional places you will. Um Less traditional places for uh, Western restaurants or a, a lot of different types of pubs, you don't have to. But um, it'll be very clear what you need to do uh, when you enter the restaurant. When you do take your shoes off, uh, you know, you um, there's usually a, a, a set of slippers that they'll give you, which will get you from there, uh, from the entrance to the tatami mats uh, in a traditional restaurant where you would just sit in your sock feet. Also, most uh, traditional restaurants will have a separate set of slippers for the washrooms. So one of the um, one of the classic uh, blunders that we as foreigners make often is to uh, to put those uh, toilet slippers on and to wear them back into the restaurant. So Ooh. always make sure to. There's a lot of slipper changing in uh, in a traditional Japanese restaurant, but uh, I think if you watch the people around you, you'll uh, you'll know what to do. Well, and that may be challenging for some of the folks that are headed to the conference who who have a hard time, you know, controlling their body and stuff. It, do you have to wear slippers? Uh, you don't. Um, as I said, the uh, the Japanese are um, are very courteous, and um, you know, if 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 people have any sort of disadvantages uh, in in terms of being able to to uh, negotiate some spaces the japanese will be very forgiving and very supporting and supportive of um of of what people need so i um i wouldn't consider that uh, a concern great thank you 
Uh, the last thing maybe I'll say with regards to uh, to to food and, and drink is um, with regards to, to drinking, uh, generally whether it's beer or sake, uh, you don't pour for yourself. Oh, okay. Uh, people, people will pour for you and you sort of pour for other people. And when people go to pour for you, you sort of just lift your glass a little bit and let them pour. Okay. And, and, which uh, which has, give, has the disadvantage sometimes you lose a little bit of control in terms of how much you're going to drink. So um, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you sip your drink to the bottom, you can usually expect it to be refilled. And what if you don't want to refill? If you don't want to refill, um, you know, usually you would just put your hand over the glass and say thank you uh, or no thank you. Um, and, and just ask for something that's non-alcoholic. James Heron, the executive director of the Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center, thank you so much for your insight and time. From Curious Cast and the World Parkinson Coalition, this is WPC 2019. Visit WPC2019.org to learn about the upcoming 5th World Parkinson Congress, a global Parkinson's event that opens its doors to all members of the Parkinson's community, including those living with the disease like me. Follow WPC on Twitter at World PD Congress. If you'd like to help spread the word about the podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free. Search for WPC 2019 and When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca and WPC2019.org. Connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email us at Pod at CuriousCast.ca. WPC 2019 is written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound design by Rob Johnston. I look forward to seeing you in Kyoto. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.